Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we were talking yesterday with a great sense of hope that... Is COVID-19, is there light at the end of the tunnel and the news that it looks like that a vaccine is very, very close to being ready. And people, there was just a sense of hope and you could see it and it was reflected all over the world, you know, leaders all over the world, doctors, scientists, everybody saying this could be the beginning of the uh, end. And uh, I read today that the European Commission has agreed to buy 300 million doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Now, we are in the mix to get a percentage of the doses that are bought by the European Commission. It's just over 1%. And I remember when I heard we would be getting just over 1% of the vaccines that are bought by the European Commission. I was thinking, God, that isn't a lot, is it? But then when I realised that they're getting 300 million. So the breakdown for Ireland, it will mean here in Ireland, we will get our hands on 3.3 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine. And that will be enough to vaccinate 1.6 million people here over the next year. Uh, Further, of course, and as that news, as we were digesting that news and happy with that news, turning on, turning to find out last night, waiting on Neffet to report on the cases and the numbers that we wait on now. We're back to waiting on those on a daily basis. Unfortunately, 16 COVID-19 related deaths were reported uh, yesterday. The It's the highest death toll we've had. I think it was since May. Now, 14 of the fatalities had have occurred in November. One was from back in October and there's another one still under investigation. So that was very sad news for those families and people picking, picking up the pieces from that. And then on the new cases, they are continuing to fall. We're at 270 was the new cases for yesterday and we are now at the halfway mark of the six week level five lockdown. So it looks like everything is heading in the right direction and the Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Houlihan when he was delivering the figures did say this significant improvement in the profile of the disease. It's encouraging. He said the 14-day incidence is now at 152 cases per 100,000 and that's down by 51% compared to the previous two weeks. But he says to maintain this position, we all need to remain vigilant in the highly infectious nature of the virus. 
it can easily spread from one person to another through close contact to social mixing. So he says our individual everyday choices to stay at home, to keep our contacts to a minimum are vital to drive down the spread of the COVID-19 even uh, further. And then keeping a close eye on the hospital figures because they are the ones we need to keep an eye on as well. 282 patients in hospital. So that number is down on previous uh, days and 40 are in intensive care. And looking at the figures for the 270 yesterday, the numbers in Dublin are continuing to fall. It really has taken quite, it's really taken level five the, the full three, first three weeks of level five for the numbers to start falling in Dublin they were at 82 yesterday and for us in Cork 8. It's been a long time since we have been reporting single COVID-19 positive cases here in Cork so that's certainly a very very welcomed news we'll, we'll certainly uh, take that um, as I say on the day that we heard about the vaccine it was all all some uh, good news. And then the other thing that caught my attention yesterday with COVID-19 was the HSC issuing a reminder to the general public that the cloth face covering or the masks or the disposable masks are superior to plastic visors in preventing the spread of COVID-19. There's been a debate going on about the plastic visors for quite some time. And I suppose the HSE are worried because they're seeing too many people wearing the face visor. So they decided to come out yesterday and issue this reminder telling people that, look, you're wearing your face covering and you're wearing your face mask to protect other people. The best thing you can do is to have a cloth or a disposable face covering rather than the uh, visor. There has been recent review of evidence coming into the HSC and they say they know now that visors are less effective than the cloth face covering and yet they say when they're out and about they are seeing more visors being used every single day. Now the HSC did say there is evidence that visors reduce exposure to droplets to a certain extent but when you compare it and that's when you compare it to wearing no face covering at all. So I suppose what they're trying to say it is better than nothing but the best advice is to wear a face mask. The HSE said visors may be an alternative in certain limited circumstances including they say people for example who have breathing problems. We were talking yesterday for example about people with COPD and people who have, who really find it difficult because of a medical complaint for breathing problems then for them it is better for them to wear a visor than to wear nothing at all. They also say for people who are unable to remove masks or put on, remove or put on face coverings themselves, face visors are okay there. And anyone with particular needs who may feel upset or uncomfortable wearing the mask or the face covering. And at the very early stages when we were all asked to wear face coverings and when it became mandatory in retail outlets, I know I had a number of people contact us who say that they get panic attacks when they wear a face covering. And I remember at that time when the evidence was start to come to come out about the visors but I remember saying to people then at that stage rather than go out and wear nothing at all at least wear a visor and there's lots of really good visors out there some are better than other visors so I mean if you can't wear a face covering you know then definitely a visor is better than nothing but the HSC are trying to get the message out to people because people are doing this to protect others and if you want to do your very best then you should be wearing a face covering. They also by the way say that the visors in settings where people who have learning difficulties or people who are hard of hearing or deaf it became a huge issue at the start for deaf people who need to lip read. If somebody is wearing a face covering it became a big big problem. Deaf people were simply not able to communicate particularly when they went into shops or businesses 
So visors could be used uh, in those cases as well. But the evidence very much there that when you put the a face visor up against a face mask, in stopping the spread of COVID-19, then a face mask is going to win hands down all of the time. 1850-333-103. Later on in the programme today, we are going to be talking about priests and priests who are now saying masses and putting their masses up online. I think nearly every day you can log on to a local church and see a priest saying mass. But certainly at the weekend, a lot of the priests have adapted and are streaming their services online because, as we know, in Level 5, they're not allowed to say mass in public. And something we discovered yesterday, a thing called mass hopping, where people are sitting down to watch mass and they might get bored with the priests and they decide to log off that mass and they'll go because that's the one thing about being online. You can watch Mass from anywhere in the world, wherever you decide you want to. This Mass has been streamed from all over the world and people are doing that and people are using the opportunity to see how Mass is said in different countries or to see how Mass is said in different parts of the country and to listen to different priests with homilies and it is a nice thing to do. But I think this idea of tuning into Mass and then in the middle of it deciding I don't really like this priest and logging off and then some some are leaving nasty comments about the priest, you know, saying that they were boring and hurtful comments and that really is just so, so unfair on priests who are already struggling during this pandemic. I mean, a lot of the older priests must be really facing the most dreadful isolation, particularly when they don't even have their Sunday Mass or their daily Mass. They could probably go from one week to another week without seeing anybody if they don't physically get out themselves. So it's it's a tricky time for them as well. So we are going to be speaking about that a little bit uh, later on. But of course, as soon as I mention Mass, we have people again on about why can't we open up the church and allow people to go back into Mass the way they were doing it with the 50 inside in the church and a text in saying Patricia I think the cancelling of the Mass is is terrible I go to Mass or I was going to Mass every Sunday night they want to take everything away from uh, us taking our Mass is just so upsetting when we went to Mass when we were allowed to go to Mass it was so well organised that's from Mary in Kinsale Thank you for that, uh, Mary. Senior Line is concerned about the mental health of many callers and worries that in our need to limit COVID-19, we're inadvertently magnifying chronic unhappiness amongst some older people. And MC is Communications Manager with Senior Line and she joins me. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Is lockdown tougher this time than the yeah. first time? Why? We're finding that. I suppose... Um, there was a tiny novel element at the very beginning of the first time. We went into the summer when, when, the, when the, the days were kind of nice and better. Even March and April were quite good, I think, as I remember, even though it's a bit of a distant memory now. And then what we found, Patricia, I think I might have told you this before, that when it eased in the first time around May, some of our callers weren't going out. They were afraid to go out. And we began to really began to have inklings that, uh, and we're not the only people saying it, of course, that this has impacted very, very negatively on older people. In fact, Colin Henry, the uh, chief, ch- chief clinical officer of the HSE, I was very interested, he said earlier this week, that um, older people must be considered um, when government eases lockdown, if they're going to hopefully ease it next month, that older people are presenting with isolation and hopelessness. Very, very strong words. So I suppose, Patricia, the other piece is if you're an older person and there's much more behind you than is left in front of you, every single day is precious, you know. Yeah. And a lot of our callers feel they're being robbed of this time. 
God, that's so sad, isn't it? Yeah. And and I'm assuming it's having too much time on your hands. You know, like the day can be very long. Absolutely. Every day like another. Too much time on your hands. Um, If you're no longer working, if you no longer... uh, We would have callers, Patricia, whose life before lockdown was very older people, but in the mainstream of life still, not our typical callers, because some of our, our caller, typical callers that we've been hearing from, for hearing for a long time are particularly solitary and really, really need us. But some other callers who are living their lives out, you know, going to theatre, having pals, member of active retirement association, that's all stopped for them. Yeah, and all the daycare centres that yeah, people went to. all the daycare centres, exactly. And they're almost worse off, so that's very, very difficult. And I suppose the other thing I'd like to say, Patricia, which is very serious, we're having not a lot, but a significant minority of calls where there's abuse and where families are being locked down into a very, very difficult situation and we're very concerned about some callers and trying to give them as much support as we can. There's stuff around finances, there's stuff around verbal abuse, there's stuff around um, where people caring, in inverted commas, for older people aren't. Everybody under pressure and the older person, the more vulnerable person, is getting the, the worst end of that. Yeah, because I know I was reading in the papers today the annual report from the National Safeguarding Office uh, is out. Um, that's very much highlighting financial abuse. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're looking at neglect, but they, they're looking at financial abuse, particularly high levels in people over the age of 80. Yeah. I mean, that's a very vulnerable group. You see, it's a terrible thing, but I imagine COVID, this is a terrible way to say it, but COVID has alerted families to the fact that perhaps they won't have their older person with them as long as they thought they might. And they're kind of, so what we're hearing is some families are rushing to get financial affairs cleared up in a very, very wrong way and putting a lot of pressure on an older person to do the, what they want, to sign over stuff and to make wills and all of that. And a lot of our callers are feeling they're under enormous pressure and feeling they have nowhere to turn. And then older people that are living on their own um, and is there a danger that some might be neglecting themselves, you know, not eating properly, for example? Yes, well, some of our our callers are saying to us, not so much about the not eating, but a more maybe kind of emotional neglect. Some people are saying, look, I don't bother getting dressed anymore, like I'm Ah. living in one room and nobody sees me anyway and all of that. So we find that what we're doing now, again, as the needs change, so our responses changes and what we're doing is we're talking to our callers about little things they can do each day we're kind of saying you know you know you're up now already are you dressed and like kind of really kind of very close kind of caring like have you had your breakfast yet and what are you going to have and really being there at their side for them to know that we care and we do want to know how they are today and will you come back and tell us how that was and all of this so it's kind of close contact and is that the key for 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 those people who are feeling very isolated and alone? You know, setting little goals, little jobs that you could be doing around the house. Get out for that. Now, I 
I don't know where you, where you're you're in Dublin. I'm assuming at uh, we're bucketing down here in, yeah, in Cork today. The weather's really bad, yeah. so you wouldn't be getting out in a day like today. No, but please God, the weather's going to be better tomorrow. Getting out for those little walks. Absolutely, um, you're, that's it exactly. It's about building some little goals and structure and challenge in your day. We all need that, irrespective of our age. But this is exactly the way we would be talking, Patricia. You know, um, what 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 treat could you give yourself today? Is there any job you need to do today? Now, it might sound like nothing, but you'll feel better if you've done it. Even tidying a drawer, do you know what I mean? Yeah, And yeah. then, if you, if you, if it's, I know what you're talking about, the weather. my daughter lives in Bantry, and I've just had a weather <laughs> forecast up from Bantry. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. So it'll be about, you know, um, going wrapping up if you can, even a short walk. We all know how the energy changes in us when we go out. You just come back and you feel different. Yeah. Something has happened. Yeah. There's been a kind of a transaction between us and the universe. So to get out and the trees are beautiful still, the colours are lovely. I mean, you will come home feeling different. And do you notice a difference in callers' mood at the end of a phone call, Anne? We do. It, it's, it's, it, it's a great thing to be able to say. And it's great for our volunteers who are able to tell us that, look, they, they come back and say, look, that was really a worthwhile call. And she said, thank you very much. I feel much better. And I, like, as, as I was saying earlier in what I sent you, Patricia, we can't, you know, we, we've no cure for coronavirus, so hopefully that's coming. We can't take that away from our callers, but we can change their mood. We can let them know that we're here, that we're cared, that we've somebody to talk, they've somebody to talk to, that we know that they're there. And uh, it, it seems like nothing, but it's huge, you know. So it, it, it is very effective. The service is particularly effective, we think, these days, the way we can listen to our callers, connect with our callers, understand our callers, and then look together what they might do to help themselves. Yeah, and you think about people who have lost, you know, lost maybe a life partner and bereavement can come back and hit them with a vengeance. Yeah, we're finding that, again, some of those themes cropping up, as I say, that worry about abuse. There's the whole area of loss. We're finding that callers, as you said before, they're on their own, too much time for thinking, their own thoughts. And if those thoughts are negative, I'm just thinking of one caller who, who, whose marriage has ended some time ago, and he's now just with that place of regret and sadness. And, you know, it, it, it's a hard place to be. And it's only happening because this new space, negative mm. space, is has come into his life, you know. And we're finding other callers phoning with areas around losses and bereavements and all that whole area. So, again, it's... And again, all we can do, what we find helpful in some of those cases, Patricia, is, you know, to say to a caller, you know, you're talking to us about your mum, you're talking to us about your husband, this or that. tell us about them. You know, I don't think we know about them. What was his name? Will you tell me about them? And they can get to tell us about that life that they've had and kind of validate it in some ways, you know. Yeah, I saw in your press release one woman who uh, both of her parents are in the early stages of Alzheimer's and she's obviously looking after both of them and life is very difficult. She's locked in almost. She is locked in. That's and the point tough. you made earlier, the point that a lot of the services are closed now, that her, one of her, her I don't know whether it's her mother or her father, used to go out every day to, uh, or three days a week, 
a week, I think, to a centre. And this gave our caller some respite, which she so badly needed. And now there's nothing. And, and again, I would say she's representative of so many people who are now coping on their own with minimal support. It's really hard. So you're saying to the government, when we come out of this lockdown, a big focus has to be put on older people? We, we feel... A new balance has to be looked at. We know about the physical health and we know why the government are doing what they're doing and we really salute them and acknowledge what they're doing. They have an extremely difficult task. But we would like a wider picture. We also need to look at the emotional and mental needs of older people, some of which will be long term as well. And the wider population, and we all have a role to play in reaching out to older family members, neighbours, friends. I mean, that simple thing of picking up the phone and calling somebody. Yeah. Absolutely. And can I, on that note, could I just say something? I'm just going to segue a little bit. Senior Line, Patricia, has just been shortlisted for a, a, a charity impact award okay. for our work. Uh, it's a Google one. And one third of the votes have to come from the public. Okay. And I would love, if I'm not being too cheap. No, go on. Now, how do we vote? I'd love to say, if anybody listening to you says, gosh, I like the cut of their jib, I like the sound of Senior Line, I'd, lo- I'd love to vote for them. If you go onto our Senior Line Facebook page, you could vote for us. And that would really help to raise our, our profile Great. and really help to encourage more people to call us. So you'd be helping us in our work. We'd really appreciate it. OK, but your, your message to others is pick up the phone and call somebody. Call somebody, yes, as well as calling us. We're there, I mean, what is it now? It's 20 to 11. We've been open for business since 10 o'clock this morning. For anyone who wants to call us, our volunteers are ready and waiting. We'd love to hear from you. Our free phone number, 1800 4591. Okay, and how are your volunteers? Are they all, they're all working from home now, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're all working from home. And again, they need support as well. So we've never had as much contact from them. But they're absolutely fabulous. We were worried about a caller just over the last few days. We hadn't heard from him. And I just put out a call and we came back. Oh, yeah, he, I talked to him last night. He's fine. And I mean, it's just so heartwarming and so lovely, Patricia. Yeah, um, somebody said while you're discussing older people and, and loneliness, I make a coffee and I head for the supermarket car park, sit in the car drinking my coffee just to watch people moving uh-huh. about. Sad but true. Listen, sit in your car when you come home phone us. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Phone and have a chat with somebody. one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one. You're you're a great bunch at senior line and uh, continue to keep flying the flag. We'll speak again. Look after yourself and Thank stay you safe. So much. Really Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is the wonderful Anne Dempsey, who is communication manager with Senior Line. Senior Line, they open seven days a week from 10 in the morning to 10 at night. If you're feeling lonely, give them a call. It's, it's just a listening ear. It's somebody to chat to. 1 800 80 45 91. During the last lockdown, I still had some great friends coming into the house. It's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah, like, you really need good company when you're in lockdown. Friends are everything. They're my friends, so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like, we still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance... People are keeping C103 really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to C103 and Cork's 96FM every week. Source, JL or Ipsos, MRBI 2023. I'd be lost in the morning without Simon. Yeah, Patricia keeps me up to date with everything Cork. I want you closer. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble.
Stay listening to C103. Hashtag choose radio. Somebody's just sent a text in to say that there is bad flooding at the end of the spa road in Mallow. Please drive with extreme uh, care. So just be careful out there. There's lots of areas flooded. The Damanwich McCroom Road is flooded. It's impassable at Art Cahan Bridge. Somebody's just been on about that as well. So please be careful. 1850 333 103. Now the Road Safety Authority has asked non-essential workers to cancel driving tests scheduled for the coming weeks to help tackle the backlog of those waiting for tests. Barry Aldworth is media officer with the AA and uh, Barry joins me. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning, Patricia. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well. I imagine at the AA you're having a busy morning this morning. Uh, certainly busy morning. It's a bad morning for motorists. I think the only positive you can take from this is at least the ducks are happy out there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now, on this driving test, are, are the AA encouraging people to cancel their tests? It, it, it's tough. I think it's tough to ask people to cancel their tests. Many people will have been kind of diligently taking their lessons. They'll be trying to get their test done. They may not be working in an essential area currently, but they may have another reason why they need their licence. They could be trying to assist a family member who's cocooning. They could be thinking that, look, once level five is over, I I lost my job or had my hours reduced. I need to be in a position where I can look for work and having access to a car is important for that for me, depending on where I live in the country. So it's tough to fully throw any weight behind what the RSA are asking people to do. But I think there are some people for whom this will be an option. So if you are someone who... You have your test booked, but if you really looked into your heart of hearts, you know you're as likely to pass it as you are to win the lotto tonight. Then, you know, it's probably better as opposed to what people may have done in the past and thought, look, I'll, I'll go and do the test and treat. You'd never know I might get lucky and sneak past. It's now better to kind of say, look, I need some extra time. I'll take that extra time and I'll give up the test slot and allow someone who is in an emergency setting to do their test quicker. So to some extent, you can understand what the RSA are trying to do here. They have, as many businesses have, been dealt with a bad hand in 2020. It's not an easy situation to get there, to get around. But I don't think it's going to significantly move the needle for them in terms of freeing up testing slots either. Yeah, and when I heard it yesterday, I thought it, it seems a tad unfair, especially for people who are test ready. You know, there are people who have, they've done everything, they've taken all their lessons, they know they're ready, they've got a good chance of passing, either it's their first time or, or they failed on pr- previous attempts. Very hard to say to that person, cancel your test. Absolutely. And I think you can understand why anyone would be reluctant to, I mean, as you and I have discussed many times before, if you're living in a rural area, yeah. a car is very, very important to your way of life. And a concern that we would have around this is we do know that, look, most people get the message that their provisional license is not a license, it's a learner's permit. But some people think, you know, if they've had their provisional learner's permit for so long, you know, they kind of think, ah, look, I, I'm sure I'd pass anyway. I'd be fine to drive on my own. Sure, I have a learner's permit. I've been learning for a good while. I know I'm test ready. And I think when you ask some people to cancel their test, there is that risk now where people will think, well, I would have passed, so I'm fine to drive mm-hmm. as if I was fully licensed. So what, be- what, but what is the current waiting time for a driving test? If somebody was to say, OK, I'll give up this slot, I'll, 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 be, I'll be kind, I'll be nice, I'll be generous to the essential workers, how long would they be expecting to wait for a new test date? So 
there's there's two aspects to this. If you were to just try to book your test right now, you are looking at a six-month waiting list. Now, if you have already booked your test, but you voluntarily give up your slot, what the RSA have said is that once level five restrictions are eased, which hopefully will happen early in December, that you would then be given the first available slot after the restrictions are eased. So you wouldn't go to the back of the waiting list. You wouldn't find yourself waiting for six months to get your test. You could be looking at a waiting time of, you know, you you may get your test as soon as early December. Not 100% clear, but certainly if you have your test booked and you voluntarily give it up, you won't be waiting until the middle of next year for your next next test date. Okay, we had a couple of people contact us yesterday when this news broke and they obviously have tests. They have a test uh, date. Wanting to know, when you turn up for your test on the day, are you asked if you're an essential worker? So in, in short, no. The, the RSA can't ask you that. They can't turn you away from your test even if you, know, even if you voluntarily say, I'm not an essential worker, they can't turn you away from the test. It's your test, it's your slot, you can proceed with the test if you want. As I said, you may not be an essential worker, but there may be essential reasons why you need access to your car. You could have you know, a grandmother who's cocooning in Balladahab and you need to get up and down to her every so often to make sure she has groceries. So you don't have to give up the test slot, nor will you be asked if you are an essential worker. I think what the RSA are asking here is mostly the people who kind of know I'm a long shot to pass. Now's a good time to kind of give up your test, get yourself some extra weeks before you have to sit us and also do something that will help out the, the greater good. OK, and failing that, because I, I don't know how many people are going to give up their tests. I have just a funny feeling it's going to be a low enough, uh, enough number. So if the RSA are saying we need these slots because essential workers are clambering to get their, their tests, could they hold tests on the weekend? Could they start doing more tests? Certainly, I think that's something that they're going to have to look at. I I kind of share your feeling, to be honest. I don't think this is going to lead to a massive number of people giving up their testing slot. And to be fair, the RSA do have, well, are working with the Department of Transport on a plan to reduce the waiting time and to hopefully by the end of 2021 get that back to somewhere in the region of 10 weeks, hopefully a little under it. But I think for now, it's a case of any idea that can be looked at is a good idea and at least worth assessing. So be it test on the weekend, be it bring, asking retired and retired testers to come back for a short period, extending the contracts of, of testers who were brought in on a temporary basis. All, the, all these ideas are on the table. I'm sure the department has to cost them. I'm sure as we have on a number of issues in the past, we will, we will be engaging with the department on it. But really, I I appreciate what the RSA are trying to do here. I think you can't help but support them in the challenge that they're facing. I don't think this is going to do much for them, so it is going to be more about looking at things like weekend testing, testing in later evenings, hiring additional instructors, getting instructors back who have retired or left the system. All those ideas are going to do more for them, I think, than asking people to give up their slot. Okay, I can see a lot. lot. There's no sympathy at all for the RSA on this one. I can see a lot of people saying uh, very unfair of the RSA to ask uh, learner drivers to cancel their test and one point, one texter is, is making the point her son is about to take his test uh, he's doing it because he needs his car insurance uh, to come down because the cost of your car insurance does come down when you pass your test and I think I think that's fair I think people will have their own reasons why they are needing their test 
they will have their own reasons for you know why they are not willing to give their slot and why they want to proceed. And I think that's understandable. I think for the most part, the RSA are re-emphasising the, the advice from governments here to a certain extent. The government's advice is that you should only do your driving test during Level 5 if you are an essential worker or working in an essential area. But I think there will be reasons why people want to do their test beyond that. I don't think you can really fault the individual driver for wanting to hold on to their slot. OK. All right, Barry, listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you, Barry Aldworth, who is the media officer with the AA. A listener says, what a cheek. I wouldn't cancel my test if I had mine booked. Uh, like you, Patricia, I passed first time and that was back in 1987. Thank you for that. Hi, Patricia. Everybody's driving test is imperative to them. If you do cancel your test, how long would you be waiting? Well, according to Barry, they're, they're promising that as soon as level five ends, the first batch of test dates will go to the people who give up their test dates during this lockdown period. So you'd probably be waiting two, three, maybe four weeks at the most. But, you know, compared to the six month wait, it is for the general public. 1850 And thank you. That listener also says that the Bail Nablaw to Crookstown Road, this is the R585, huge amount of water across the road after the crossing heading towards Crookstown. The, that side is more heavily flooded. Texture saying, please slow down. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. John, uh, when commenting on uh, the priests that we're going to be talking with in this hour who are receiving some kind of really nasty comments online because we know public mass can't be said it has to be said behind closed doors so many priests have adapted and they're streaming their masses so the parishioners can tune in and of course not just parishioners people from all, all over the world once it goes on the world wide web people from all over the world can watch you know a local priest uh, say mass but just some people now are doing what's called mass hopping and we're going to be talking a little bit more about that uh, in a couple of minutes but John is making the point to the people that are critical of priests and are sending some nasty comments about the priest and about the particular mass and the delivery of the homily for for example. John says they must realise that not only the priest can see those comments, John says, but God can see them too. It mightn't do their credit rating in heaven any good, says John. So think before you type. But then Mary has a different view on it. She said there's a lot to be said about people who live in glass houses and not throwing stones and all of that. The priests, and this would have been in previous times, were up on their pulpit preaching about the rod and spoiling the child this one and that one being unclean because they'd sex before marriage they wouldn't allow women to be churched after having a baby or having a divorce you couldn't bury a suicide victim or a stillborn baby on consecrated ground in the graveyard and don't let me start on the mother and baby homes if they can't take the criticism they shouldn't have dished it out in the first place says Mary she says if I got food poisoning in a restaurant why should I go back this is the same if you don't like the offering of a a particular priest. Why should you stay, says Mary, who's understanding some of the criticism that's been meted out to priests. Don in Ballyclaw is worried about Christmas cards. He said Christmas cards are going to be flying around people's homes in the next few weeks. Could they be carriers of the virus? I don't think so, uh, John, because if that had been the case, all posts would have stopped 
since the start of the pandemic and I haven't heard any or seen any evidence saying that you'll pick up the virus from cards and letters coming through your letterbox and I think this Christmas more than ever we should be sending Christmas cards to add a bit of cheer uh, to people's lives. Margaret in Canturk says with so many people now not mingling and out meeting people because we're all told to just socialise with people in our own homes and don't go out and about. Margaret is starting to wonder what will things be like when we get back to normal? Will people, will we be as social as we were beforehand? Well, I, I think we will, Margaret. I think there will be a rush to get out the door and to start meeting and mingling and socialising with people again. But yeah, I know your point. Some people might go into themselves and then not go out, but hopefully that won't happen and the people will be encouraged to go out and mingle and we'll be able to meet up with our friends and our families and get back to life as it once was. Tom was listening to my chat with Anne Dempsey talking about older people and the way they're now feeling that this second lockdown is harder on older people than the first one was and Senior Line are certainly noticing it in the calls that they're getting in to their helpline. Tom works in a local shop in a rural village and he said at night now this was pre COVID before the pandemic he said especially at night time older people from the area would call into the shop and he said you could see the same person they might come in three four times a week and he says you knew in your heart and soul they're only coming in for the chat they wouldn't be in because they had a big long shopping list they might only come in and buy a packet of ham or a bar of chocolate but all they wanted to do was to stay and uh, to chat and he said for us younger staff it really was sad to see this happening but he said that was happening pre-COVID so making the point that there was always people particularly in rural areas who felt very isolated that that isolation that I think that isolation now has gotten even worse because we're hearing and what senior line are hearing from are people who are not going out at all and they're becoming very isolated and they're living in a very small world because in some cases some have moved outside their own front door since March since they were first asked to uh, cocoon. And hi Patricia, I read an article in a newspaper recently and someone was talking about chatting to people over the phone and having phone calls with family and friends. Once the inquiries about the family and then having a little bit of a chinwag about COVID, once people are done with that, according to this article, people were finding very little else to talk about. Nobody is going out and meeting people any anymore. This text says, I'm sometimes worried. Will we forget how to talk and how to converse with people. It has been a very, very sad year. And I suppose that's all the more important reason to keep up those phone calls. You will eventually find something to talk about, even if it's something that was just on the TV or something that you heard about on the radio. Just come up with topics and keep the, keep those lines of conversation going. 1850 Michael was on when I mentioned about the RSA asking people to give up their driving test slot and allow essential workers who are desperately looking for those slots allow them because there's been a six months waiting list for driving tests and there's a big clamour at the moment to try to get more driving uh, test spaces for the essential workers so they've come out with this one asking people if you're not an essential worker cancel your test and let somebody else take the slot instead that got Michael 
thinking what is the point of the RSA who's responsible for the cut of the roads in Cork was how Michael said when he contacted us this morning he said there are signs on the road from roadworks that are already finished and no one's come back to remove those signs in a country with so much rain why do lorries not have side flaps to stop the spray of water Michael is pondering as to what the RSA actually do well I can tell you the RSA their mission statement the aim of the RSA is to save lives and prevent injuries by reducing the number and severity of collisions on the roads and um, they they provide a safe environment or that's their objective is to provide a safe environment for all road users and promoting the efficient use of our road network they're the twin aims of the Road Safety Authority so I suppose they'll do their best to point out if road conditions are bad on a particular road but Michael they can't go out and actually fix the road that would be your local council would be responsible for that it's the same with road signs that are left behind after road works it would be the contractor but that contractor would have been put in place by the council so it's it's the council you need to be aiming at your criticism at and just staying thank you for your call just staying um the RSA and staying on lessons and people taking their driving tests. Somebody wants to know for learner drivers, why can't they keep doing their lessons? Why have their lessons been cancelled? Well, I think the reason for that, driving lessons are still going on. Approved driving instructors, they have been classified as providing an essential service. So driving instructors can still provide driving lessons during level five, but they can only provide the lessons to people who have a booking reserved to undergo a driving test. These are the people who already have an, att- have an appointment for a driving test. Are they an essential worker and they are, they've been given or they're waiting on a test date? But for everybody else who isn't an essential worker, they're not meant to be out getting lessons. So I'm assuming that's, you're, you're obviously talking about somebody you know who's had their lessons cancelled. I'm assuming that's why they, they are not an essential worker. And a number of people have contacted us who have a driving lesson and wondering, you won't be asked if you're an essential worker or not. The RSA are just asking people to think about giving up their driving test. But, you know, even the AA, when I was talking with Barry, you could even sense from Barry with the AA, there's just, there's a huge unfairness about asking somebody, as somebody else has said, everybody needing a driving licence it's essential it might be essential for your job but it's essential for a variety of other reasons if you're living in a rural area and you need transport to get you from A to B then that's essential to you or as Barry said if you need to call in on an older person and not everybody has all of the time somebody available to sit with a learner driver it was different back in the day when learner drivers who were quite competent before they took their tests were driving without having a fully qualified driver with them but we know now they're not allowed to do that anymore so getting that driving licence is so essential to so many people so I I think and I don't know whether the RSA will ever issue us with the numbers but I think it will be a very small number of people who will decide to give up a test slot. If you've been waiting six months, if you applied and were told it is up to six months now to get a driving test date so if you've waited many months and you finally have a test date I think there will be very few people unless 
the ones like what Barry Ald with for the AA, the ones who know in their heart and soul they're not test ready, and that's fair enough. If you're not test ready, then please give up your test. But for those people who are test ready and who are desperate to get their full license in, in their hand, I can see very few of them coming forward to hand up their test. But maybe I'll be proven wrong. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. And Angela writing to us this morning from uh, Castletown Bear says, "Dear Patricia, I am so annoyed and actually upset." To hear how those members of the Dáil jump on the bandwagon the moment one of their colleagues makes a mistake. I'm speaking about Leo Varadkar. They didn't, they weren't long forgetting how it was Leo who steered this country during the first lockdown. Why don't they sort out the homelessness crisis and the other services? We have a lot of problems in this country. That's what we elected them to do, not turning on each other and tearing each other apart. Thank you for a great programme. Patricia, that's from Angela in Castletown Bear. Thank you for that, Angela. I wonder, do others agree with... Angela, how people? How do people feel about that? We know it was yesterday evening that honest uh, Leo Varadkar had a vote of no confidence. Now, he comfortably won the vote of no confidence. All government deputies voted in favour of voting confidence in uh, Leo Varadkar. And this was the Sinn Féin motion of no confidence that, of course, was tabled last week. And it was in the wake of the leaking of confidential documents by Leo, Var- by Leo Varadkar to Dr Matthew O'Toole. He went before the Dáil, he apologised, but that wasn't enough and Sinn Féin decided then to bring this vote of no confidence and there was a lot of, as Angela says in in her letter, tearing people, turning on each other and tearing and getting stuck into each other. Angela thought it was very unfair, particularly that it was Leo Varadkar and everyone must remember what Leo did for this country and how well he led this country at a time when we needed real leadership. And I'm wondering, as I say, are people agreeing with Angela? Do people feel sorry for Leo as to what happened this week? Or are you with the Sinn Féin party and what they had to say and in particular Mary Lou MacDonald and what she had to say about Leo Varadkar particularly in this no confidence motion yesterday your thoughts welcomed on that 1815 333 103 C103 Jobs Windmill Home Care they're recruiting for full and part time home support workers it's to work throughout the North Cork region the Bonsacour Hospital in Cork they are recruiting for theatre nurses and clinical nurse managers uh, jobs to start in January General Assistant wanted for a busy scrap metal recycling yard, that's in North Cork. And full-time window fitter wanted for immediate start in the West Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. I have to say, I was really saddened to read that priests have said that they were upset by some very hurtful criticism of so-called mass hoppers who go from one online mass to another, passing comments over the priests' performances. Uh, Father Tim Hazelwood of the Association of Catholic Priests and Parish Priest in Killa uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Father Tim. Good morning. Now, I said I was saddened, but I was also quite shocked by all of this. What are people saying? <laughs> Can I just explain the context in which the piece was written? Please do. Yeah. You, see, uh, you know our association, we're 10 years in existence, and it was, we put forward what we think is 
another way of, of doing church. And one of the ways is that anything that we hold, it's out, it's in the open. There's no secrecy. And this year we had our AGM. Now, we couldn't gather, so we had it on Zoom. But people were free to watch it. And when it was over, it was put up in our website and people could watch. And a journalist watched it. Now, since, I suppose, since the abuse scandal, the biggest thing that has happened in the church is COVID, like everybody else, and it has affected the lives of priests. And we are an association of priests, so we wanted to know how has it affected uh, the lives. And I was asked to do a presentation uh, on that topic, and from my own experience and just from meeting the priests that I know, what was their experience? So there was a whole... It's, the, the, the result was pretty negative, I must say, as it is, I think, for a, a lot of people. It has changed the lives, not for the better at the moment, because of the, um, the way things have changed. And one of the things is that mass, we cannot gather. So uh, people have had to, against their wishes, because a lot of priests don't like this thing of going, of uh, recording mass and going live and online. Uh, we, we've no training in that kind of media work. So some are reluctant. I was reluctant at the beginning. Um, but part of it now is that, if, if, especially if you're on Facebook, you've put the mass, people can comment. Yeah. And I'll give you one small example. And like some of the judgments could be internal in the priest as well. You know, like we're, maybe we're oversensitive at times. When I went online and the mass was said, one woman in the parish commented, thank you for a lovely mass, Father. That was grand. I, you know, uh, I, I don't look at them, but one of the people who helps... Uh, in, in the technical stuff, showed it to me. And then that evening I met her and she said, you know, she watched another Mass later. <laughs> and I know the priest she watched. But she said to him, a beautiful Mass, Father. So straight away I'm thinking, hmm, <laughs> mine was just, thank you, Father, and his was beautiful. What am I doing? And like, I suppose if you go back, Patricia, before this happened, people look out. He says a quick Mass. This fellow's singing all day. That fellow reads his sermon. All those kind of, of comments. But now you can write it down. You can put it online. And any criticism, real or perceived, hits people in the gut. You know, it, it's, it's demoralizing. And fellas are sensitive to that kind of thing because I think lads are trying to do their best. They're not comfortable with this stuff. And I just think people need to be a little bit aware. Like, that's one of the areas that it has been negative. Well, you know, it's, it's like what I'm always saying to people. Can, you know, in a world where you, we can choose to be anything, can we just choose to be kind? Because, you know, it, it, it drives me nuts and I'm, and I'm a big fan of social media and, and Twitter in, in particular. Some of the comments mm. and the trolling that goes on and it is, what, what, what you're describing is a form of trolling of priests and as you say, these are, in many cases, men who are uncomfortable about being online, they got no training for it, they were dropped into it and they're doing the best that they can. And okay, if you don't like a particular mass and you don't like a particular ceremony, you don't have to comment on it. Yeah, but there's another, I suppose, part of it as well, Patricia, and that is that nowadays online you know how many people are watching and follow and like we hear things like, oh, your man down the road, he has huge following. I know. And then you're saying to yourself, God, what am I doing wrong? Like, there's very little positive. I thought the positive we have to think of is that people want to hear the local men. That's why I went back online, because uh, a neighbouring priest, uh, I met a man, and I was asking about his parents, how they were, and they said, they're delighted. The local man is saying the mess. Do you know? And I said, oh, God. 
you know, rather than watching an RT mess with someone they don't know. And I suppose a few with two men who are 90 years of age lately and online at the mass at the end, I just said, look, it's great that, you know, wish them a happy birthday. Little things make it more personal, but it's that other side, the dark side, we'll call it, yeah. that can be a bit. And like, there aren't too many positives for us at the moment because like our churches are closed the income is gone, you know, there's nothing. Like we, we've, we've one case of a priest who was so ashamed that he had money in the parish to pay for something in the parish. He pays out of his own pocket, you know. And, and at a, a kind of a, at a head level, we can say, well, that's stupid, he should go to the diocese. And, but like at a human level, people take it personally, you know. He's the manager supposed to be of the parish. And, like, um, and the other accounts then for payment of the priest, like we had no stations this year, so for many parishes we don't have not able to reach what was the minimum for our wages So, and then you hear some parishes who are and again you say what am I doing wrong? Yeah, how, are, how are they doing it? And yeah, I'm not doing, but like, here's an example. Uh, somebody said, I've gone back to my native parish for online mass in Kilmichael. What a wonderful down-to-earth man. I don't know what, the, what, what priest is saying mass. Even my children are watching and there's no complaining out of them, uh, says Anne. And that's, of course, one of the advantages of it being online. You can watch a mass from anywhere in the country are indeed anywhere in the world. I was speaking with my sister who told me that she got a beautiful Mass last Sunday from Rome. And I said, did you understand it? And she said, no, it was all in Italian. But she said it was lovely. (laughs) So, I mean, you can do that. You can be anywhere in the world watching. You can, but I suppose, like, for us, and our life has been with the people celebrating together, you know, uh, gathering, and that's gone. And that's, it's a sadness, I know, for, for many. No, there are some fellows who are delighted because they may be introverted and the break from all these people is great. But like, it's, it's as if the world kind of has stopped uh, church-wise. Yeah. And it hasn't because... And like, the good thing is that people are doing things at home themselves. And, but you see, the reason at the meeting is that we wanted to name it. This is the reality. We weren't looking for sympathy or attention. But like, and it's for us to be aware of it with each other. You know, that, and like on top of all those issues, then we have the big bad word isolation. Well, I, in the last mm. hour, I've just been discussing isolation for older people with, yeah. with the senior line helpline. And I, it struck me as I was talking with Anne Dempsey of senior line, and I knew you were coming on in this hour. It just struck me there must be a lot of priests feeling very, very isolated at Absolutely. the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the reality is we live on our own. And now, especially winter time, you it, it's got, shortly it's going to be dark at four o'clock. You you turn the key on the door, and that's it. And for some, are comfortable enough, but not long term. That it is challenging, and that's where we, as an organisation, uh, we're 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 considering trying to doing something about making it, making sure that there's a link. And in a way, I'm delighted that I've been given the opportunity to speak about it because I suppose what priests would appreciate most is just locally that people would be aware and I don't, not looking for sympathy but you know just not to forget you know to check in especially some lads are loners and it can be very isolating maybe they don't have family anymore and uh, just to keep a check on and and to just support you know even just pick up the phone and give them a yeah, give absolutely. Them a, and and give them a a call um yeah and um uh, and is it up to individual priests, by the way, if they want to go online or not? How does that work out? You see, that's where this kind of pressure comes 
it is up to individual priests because, but then within your parish, you know, like I said, it was said to me directly, you know, are you doing anything? You know, and like priests never deserted their parishes through all this, but because you didn't have this visibility online, it, it came across, that's what this person, he'd be, I'd be, we'd be good friends, and uh, he's very blunt, as you can imagine, <laughs> but that's what his thing was, you know, if you're not doing that, what are you doing, you know, um, but it's challenging, I think, the fact of having to, to stand there, <laughs> you see, usually when we say Mass, there's the altar in front of you, and there's the ambo, it's kind of, there's a distance, but with the camera. Yeah. And are you conscious of how many people are watching? I don't ask. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're better I, off. There was a, there was a saying I heard years ago: a pat in the back is a foot of, away from a kick. You know where. <laughs> so I'm aware of that. That all these plaudits you get, just somewhere down the line. And unfortunately, my makeup is the one who would criticise. That's the one that I'd look at. I know. Not well, the and that's human nature. We're all the same. We're, yeah. Listen, you should come into this job and like the Chris. And the late great Gay Byrne used to always say, for every one person that loved him, there was three out there that, that hated him. Yeah. And I always take that on board when I get because we can get some really nasty comments in here. And it's hard because the screen is in front of me and I see them come in. Oh my god! And it's hard not to read them. And it's, and of course it affects you. Of course it, it does. It, it, it affects. We want everybody to like us. We want everybody yeah. to think we're we're doing the best. By the way, are you for or against the reopening of church? to mass to masses. I knew you'd come up with, with some very awkward with questions. the fifty in the church during the level five and what the bishops were doing trying to get on to Well I I'll be very upfront. I have um I I'm against opening on the grounds that the people who know are the scientists and the doctors and they tell us that people gathering together is where it spreads. And I can live with what we're dealing with, but if somebody here died because of an outbreak that happened in our church, I wouldn't like that. And I think there are other creative ways in which we can celebrate Christmas, um, that people can come to church maybe as a family, as a group. Some, there's other ways. For the sake of a few months, we get through this winter, I just think, and I think the church shouldn't be pushing to open because I think it's selfish and I think it's given a bad example. I think we should be wise, listen to the scientists, listen to the doctors. They're trying to guide us and that's my take on it. Do you think Christmas is going to be tricky if we are, if you are back up and open? We couldn't open. Like, I, I was reading Brenda Power in the Times, Sunday Times last Sunday, and she was on about that there was no one going to Mass or she should come to kill her. We, I put on five Masses for Christmas. They're packed. I, if I did 15 masses with social, I wouldn't cover the amount of people who come. Yeah. So how can we cater for everybody? And this thing about giving out tickets. Oh, oh uh, you, just, you couldn't. You, that's not going to work. You're excluding people. Yeah. So I would say stay online and that we try and do something that families can come individually, maybe give them Holy Communion, visit the crib. And, you know, it's... We do it at, at the present. We go to the sick and bring communion. This is 
a time of sickness in a way and I think we can be creative and do other things and keep people safe. Okay, and that's what it's all about. It's all yeah, about keeping well, people so, safe. Yeah. And the vaccine is on the way. The vaccine well, is on the way. Well, that's the thing that doesn't let's end. Look, let's end with a positive. Listen, Father yeah. Tim, pleasure as always. Look after right. yourself and we'll talk again. Thanks, Patricia. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 That is uh, Father Tim Hazelwood of the Associated Catholic Priest who is also the parish priest in Killa. Mary says, there's nobody going to Mass anymore so why are people always giving out about it? My grandchildren don't even go to Mass. I like think priests are wonderful said Mary it's a very lonely job and I have so much respect for them my own priest was amazing to me when I was down but my church is always nearly empty for mass and I'm, I'm assuming Mary is talking about before the uh, pandemic and lot, another text just says a lot of priests must be lonely they don't have daily mass. They're not meeting people. They don't have the GAA match that they would have gone to before. And then they are living alone. I think to hear Father Tim saying when he goes back in in the evening time, turning the key on the dark, you know, turning the key on the house and, and to go in. And, you know, on these evenings, it's going to be dark. And I don't know if he's got a timer on the heating. Could it be cold as well? You know, you just... Uh, he and, and I know people will say it's not the same for anybody living alone absolutely uh, it is and John says loved the comment I made all about being kind in a, in a world where you can choose to be anything John choose to be kind uh, it's a mantra we should all be living by now I'll get back to uh, your comments in a little while I'm not ignoring them but I want to move on to a different issue because many Irish people celebrated the election last weekend of US President Joe Biden a man who is very proud of his Irish roots but President elect Biden may need a little bit of a history lesson and Barry Holland from Court McSherry is the man who can give it to him and he joins me to explain more. Good morning to you Barry Good morning Patricia. Now President elect Joe Biden made a recent speech about his great grandfather one Edward Francis Blewett tell us what he said about Edward Francis Blewett uh, If I'm correct he uh, called, referred to Edward Francis Blewett as being the first Irish Catholic state senator ever elected to the state of Pennsylvania. And that simply is not true when you're going, you're fact-checking that. The fact-checking has been <laughs> done. In fact, it's been done in the US. Oh, well. was it? Yeah. Oh, was oh, yeah. it? Okay. So I'm, only, I'm only picking up the pieces here, but it was done, it was done in the US. He gave that speech in a, in a town in Pennsylvania called Erie in the north coast of Pennsylvania. And it was fact-checked shortly after and said, actually, that honour belongs to a man by the name of James McSherry. Now tell us so, who James McSherry was. If you allow me to start from the start, Patricia, um, the McSherrys, um, there's a town in, in, in Pennsylvania, about um, in Adams County, Pennsylvania, with about 3,000 people. It's 100 miles west of Philadelphia, and 12 miles east of Gettysburg, famous for the Battle of the Civil War and the famous speech that Lincoln gave. Uh, McSherry's town was founded by a man by the name of Patrick McSherry. Now Patrick McSherry's origins came from Antrim in, 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 in the north of the country. But if we go back a couple of generations, the McSherrys were actually uh, originated from what is now Court McSherry. The first uh, the people who Court McSherry is named after were originally Normans. They were by the surname of Hodnett, and they settled, or they came from Shropshire in the UK and settled in and around uh, Court McSherry, near to where the hotel is today, we believe. The, as, as well, what happened at the time with the Normans, that they would have assumed Irish customs, Irish culture, even the language, and as the saying goes, they became more Irish than the Irish themselves. So the Hobbits changed their name to what would be uh, Mock Hayfrig, which would be the son of Geoffrey. Geoffrey obviously would have been Geoffrey Hobbit, so son of uh, son of Geoffrey. So that's where the name Court Vic Hayfrig comes from. 
So Anglicised McCaffrey and you get McSherry. So the McSherry's were uh, ran out of Court McSherry by Cromwell, by an agent of Cromwell by the name of Robert Gookin in the late 1640s. Um, during the Cromwellian conquest when Cromwell would have burnt the likes of, or his forces would have burnt the likes of Tim Lee Gabby. They were vagrants for quite some time and then they settled uh, in Antrim in the north of Ireland. Obviously then that brings into a context then Patrick McSherry, who was a descendant of theirs. He immigrated to the US in and around the 1740s. And in 1763, he purchased 300 acres of land near the south, southern border of Pennsylvania which, with Maryland. And he split into 60 lots. And that, is the, that was the foundation of the town of McSherry's town. In 1763. And are, are the people of McSherry Town, are they aware of Court McSherry? They have been aware, Patricia, of our existence, would, I would say, with over 70 years at this stage, possibly more. They, it's, it's in documented form. We can see that they've, they, they've written about it in their local newspapers for in excess of 70 years. It's probably the traditional case of Americans that Im- or Irish people that immigrated to America. They knew exactly what where they came from and what their, you know, the, the, their, their generational history going back. Uh, for us in Court McSherry, um, as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't aware of this until about 2018. And I did a bit of digging um, with the help of some people in the local history group. And I actually made contact with some of the people over in McSherry's town through their mayor's office, a history group over there. And they were able to send me back a book that they published in 1963 for their bicentennial anniversary of the foundation of their town, which made reference to Court McSherry. Ah, fantastic. So they knew all about it. Isn't that fantastic? So this is where the, the, the political connection comes in then, of course, is that James McSherry was the son of Patrick McSherry, the founder of McSherry's town. He was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1813. He served until 1817. He actually says, subsequently served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1821 until 1823 as well. And in traditional Irish fashion, his son went on to the, into the political fray as well. His son, William McSherry, served two years or two, three years since in the Senate as well. I wonder, have they any direct descendants still living there? Up until very recently, I was informed by some of the people in McSherry's town, there was a direct descendant of the McSherry's still there. I'm not so sure that the surname still exists. Yeah. But um, as far as I was concerned, there was only one or two living relatives of the original McSherry's still, um, still alive. So, as far as I know, I don't know of any more. They haven't told me. Yeah, anymore. and would there be any direct descendants still living in Court Mac? I think there was some again through just my searching research that there was DNA tests done through Ancestry, the Ancestry.com website, and yeah. that the DNA between the they had done the DNA test between the people in Antrim, the McSherry's in Antrim, which there are still McSherry's in Antrim, by the way, and the McSherry's are the descendants of the McSherry's in the US. They were very, very, I suppose, DNA distant. Um, that they couldn't actually tie down, and ah. um, you know, at a very direct link. And um, I can't, I think of the terminology they use, but they were kind of rather, they were rather distant, all right. But that, that, it, they, the people in Antrim know that their, um, their ancestors immigrated to America, and equally so, the people in America know that their ancestors immigrated from Antrim and originated from Port McSherry originally. Yeah, and actually, I was—I had John Creedon on the broadcaster with his new book that the what is it the place uh, the place I call home where he you know looks at the history of place names and actually part of the book talks about the Irish diaspora leaving the shores and going you know all over the world 
and they brought the names with them. And that's why, you know, dotted all over the world, you'll find Irish place names. Absolutely. And not only will you find the names, but also kept the religion as well, in that they, there's, there's quite a prominent amount of Roman Catholics still uh, that live in and around the, uh, the McSherry's Town area. But if I was to put a couple of twists on the story for you, Patricia, the, um, obviously that the name Pennsylvania originates from a man by the name of William Penn. He was a Quaker, and he uh, originated from uh, England. He founded the state of Pennsylvania in around the 1600s. His father was an, an, a man also by the name of William Penn, Sir William Penn. He was an admiral, and he was a politician, an admiral with the English Navy. He was granted Macroom Castle in the mid-1600s, but he lost it subsequently. And he was granted lands at Shanagarry, about 7,000 acres. But also, interestingly enough, and bizarrely, he was granted in and around 5,000 acres in the Barony of Ibane. Now, the Barony of Ibane is effectively the parishes of Barry Row and the Ardfield Parish as well, what was the old Barony of Ibane. So, William Penn's father had held lands in around the Barry Row Court. Isn't area. that incredible? What an incredible twist. To make another twist on that story, the men who actually, the man who, let's say, ran the McSherry's out of Court McSherry was a man by the name of Robert Hookin. He was referred to as Cromwell's spy. His brother, Charles, was subsequently made Deputy Governor of Pennsylvania by William Penn himself. <laughs> so you could not... I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm after opening a Pandora's box. You really have, you really have. And, and, and I can sense the enthusiasm in your voice. You're loving it. Oh, this is, this is unbelievable. I, I was... I was I was really intrigued to start to know that there was a connection between Court McSherry and McSherry's town. We had established that. But now this stuff is just blown out of the water altogether. You know, it, it's, like, it's like I go around in circles, but every time I go around in circles, I find a connection. There's a book in it for sure. Listen, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that history lesson. And I was going to ask you, had your plans to write to the White House to, to fill in Joe Biden after the 20th of January, but you say he is aware that he got his information wrong. Well, the other president had a lot of fact checking done. She poor old Joe only had a little bit. If that was all he got wrong, it wasn't too bad. Listen, Barry, I enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. Look after yourself. And thanks a million for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Barry Holland uh, joining us from Court McSherry. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. An amount of reaction into the letter that I received from Angela in Castletown Bear earlier and Angela wrote because she said she was annoyed and upset at everything that was going on in the doll and people jumping on the bandwagon and she said just because one colleague makes a mistake and obviously she was speaking about the whole issue around the Thornish, the Leo Varadkar and the leaking of information and the vote of no confidence then that took place last night which of course we now know he passed. Anyway, uh, and she says she she feels very sorry for Leo Varadkar and she said people very small, short memories and look how well he did when we started into this pandemic and we needed somebody to lead the country particularly during the first lockdown and how fantastic Leo Varadkar was and people seem to be forgetting that. Anyway, some of your commentary in on that. A number of people I have to say agreeing with Angela but obviously there's people on the opposing view as well including Christy who says, Hi Patricia if the opposition don't hold government to account then they would be 
failing in their responsibility. The fact is, Leo knowingly leaked a confidential document to a friend for whatever was his motivation to do so. It's been claimed it was due to a threat from that organisation to campaign against Fine Gael in the upcoming elections at the time. In the early 90s, Phil Hogan released some contents of a budget beforehand and he had to resign his position at the time because of it. The document was deemed confidential for a reason and Leo betrayed trust by passing it on. If I tell, if tell somebody something in confidence and insist that they keep it to themselves and then they end up telling others they would have betrayed my trust. By forwarding a document Leo also undermined his own health minister. This may be a small matter in the whole scheme of things at the moment but what I have concerns about is government information revealed privately to others that could benefit others financially which has happened in the past. Kind regards and that's uh, Christian Temple Glanton even though the information that was passed on in this case, Christy, we now know it didn't benefit anyone. It certainly didn't benefit anybody uh, from a financial point of view. But I know the point you're making. That's the job of opposition. So what Mary Lou and the Sinn Féin party did by bringing up that vote of no confidence, you feel that is their role in opposition. That is what they are meant to do. Now, thank you for that. John says, Patricia, politics is only a big game and we are the bigger fools who put them there. I can remember all the same problems 40 years ago, unemployment, robbing and blagarding, and of course the brown envelopes. Not to forget the nod in the wink and who knows who. It's a great little country, isn't it? Politics, God help me, uh, says uh, John. Another texter says, ask Angela, who wrote the original letter, I am a postman. If she gets a letter, which clearly written on the front, it was marked private and confidential uh, on it. And I was to give that letter to somebody else to open it up first. How would she feel about it? That's exactly what Leo did. It did in the eyes of Sinn Féin, who were right to bring up the vote of no confidence. That's from a postman. While a lot of texts in with people taking the opposing view. Well said Angela, says this texter. People have very short memories. Leo Varadka was amazing when Covid hit our country back in March. I felt really safe when he was in charge. I was never a Fine Gael voter, but he certainly would get my number one vote in the morning if I was able to vote for him. Hi, Patricia, says Dan. When was the last time we got any positive reaction to anything from the Sinn Féin party? It's always negative. Leo, on the other hand, while he was excellent in his leadership during the recession and during the pandemic and his handling of Morris McCabe, needs, needs though to reconsider his attitude about me first in everything, says Dan. Hi, Patricia. I agree with Angela about Leo Varadkar. I never voted Fine Gael in my life but I really like Leo Varadkar he is such a dignified honourable individual Mary Lou should be ashamed of her attempt to damage his reputation if she cared at all about the country and its people she would rise above what I see as pathetic behaviour and says I also agree with Angela homelessness is in such a bad way at the moment the Cork Simon community for example need money just to keep going just to help the homeless today look out the window how bad a day it is could you imagine having to sleep out and to be on the streets all day at the end of the day we all make mistakes and that's what Leo did he made made a mistake and he put up his hand and admitted that he made the mistake Margaret says I agree with Angela Sinn Féin are just mouthing Mother had a saying the cow the cow with the dirtiest tail bellows the loudest 
the cow with the dirtiest tail bellows is it the latest it's it's a, I'm wondering if that should be the loud, loudest anyway let's get on with governing the country I feel the judge by the way also should resign just like Big Phil did he should be doing the honourable thing that's from Margaret and Liz says yes I agree with her t- with I, yes, I agree. TDs, I'm disgusted. Get on with solving the real problems. What did we elect them for? We elected them for to run the country and get on with the problems, not to be getting involved in this with his only mud slinging. OK, that's just some of the comments coming in on both sides. But a lot of people, I have to say, a lot of people agreeing with Angela and feeling sorry for Leo Varadkar and everything he's had to go through. OK, other issues coming in to us on the priests and with Father Tim and what Father Tim was talking about. Mike in Bantry says Hi Patricia, everyone has an opinion now about everything. Wouldn't you be afraid to even open up your mouth? Says Mike. So I'm assuming that you have sympathy for the priests and what's been going on there. Hi Patricia, I would like to say many, many thanks to Father Tim for a beautiful funeral mass that he conducted for my mother back in June and that comes in from Breathe. I don't know if Father Tim is listening or not but hopefully he is and uh, that's kind of you to say that uh, Breathe. Thank you for that. I have made this point before on your programme uh, Patricia. Father Tim is very positive and very positive in his attitude and particularly about trying to keep his parishioners uh, safe but this texter reckons that she knows of masses that are definitely going on behind closed doors but people are being allowed uh, in our priest our priest doesn't care about his safety or the safety of his parishioners I find it very frustrating well if you know what's going on you're obviously not going along to the church and that's what I would be saying to you don't if you don't feel safe that's what we need to do you know Dr. Mike Ryan, the great Irish doctor with the World Health Organization, I keep quoting him in that press conference he gave where he said, don't be worrying about what your neighbours and what everybody else is doing. Look after you, look after yourself. Have your own personal responsibility. If you know something is going on and you know it's wrong and you know there's a danger that people will be spreading coronavirus by attending somewhere where there isn't proper social distancing going on, then do your own bit and stay well, well uh, clear of it. Thanks for your text. Anne says, Patricia, I agree with Father Tim on your programme this morning. If churches are crowded for Christmas, we'll have another lockdown in uh, January. Anne said, I would like to wish him well. And hi Patricia Marty from Cove here. Myself and my wife are regular mass goers and we really miss mass. We continue to support the priests. They are a dying breed and thank God for them. Yeah, Because it was another point that Father Tim spoke about all of their they don't have their weekly collection. Financially, they are all struggling as well. OK, and then the other topic, I think they're all the ones that were in on... Anything else? In on Father Tim. Hi, Patricia. I'm not holy in anyway. I don't go to Mass, but I put Mass on the laptop for my 80-year-old mother-in-law and the smile on her face when she sees the priest is worth it. Yes, yeah, so there are a cohort of people who are really getting, who are really missing Mass, really missing going to Mass and who are really getting an awful lot from watching it on online. Uh, so well done to the priests, even though it's just, I, I just, I still feel sorry for, for them if they're getting that kind of criticism from people. There really is no need for that at all. Okay, and there was also, we we were talking earlier about isolation and loneliness and how lonely and how elderly people are getting on at the moment when we were talking with Senior Line. Listen to this for a text in saying, Hi Patricia, we're a married couple in our 80s. 
we went out three nights a week to the local casino. We'd spend 10 euro between us, but it was just great to get out and and to meet people and to socialise. We don't take alcohol and we don't smoke. So the pubs never worried us. So whether they're open or closed, that doesn't bother us. Now, what do we have? We get to go shopping once a week. That is our only outlet at the moment. All we have to look forward to is our rosary beads by the fire every night. The young people have their lives in front of them. We are in the autumn of ours and nothing to look forward to. And that comes in from a Cork listener, isn't that just so, so sad? Hang in there. You know, when I hear and see comments like that, that's just absolutely heartbreaking. This time will pass. There's a vaccine on the way and hopefully it'll be here sooner rather than later. And hopefully this time next year we'll be looking back saying, oh God, do you remember when we were in the second lockdown and how we all all came through it? Look after yourselves. You have each other. Though that's you've got it, you've got a blessing in that that you have each other. And I don't know if you can reach out to anyone. Is there anybody you can call? Senior line who we spoke about, they'd love to have a chat with you at any time. They're open from 10 in the morning uh, to 10 at night. But hang in there, this time will pass, and your beloved casinos will reopen, and you'll be able to get back out there and spend your few bob and hopefully win as well. Because uh, no, no doubt you, you win, you win a few bob as well when you go along. But yeah, there are a lot of people missing out on what was. You know, for others, it's going to the cards. I know the bingo players are really finding it so difficult because they don't have the bingo to go to uh, either. And thank you to people who are sending in really nice comments about the 30th anniversary of the programme, which, of course, is coming up on... Friday. Uh, so thank you. I'm not ignoring your text, but this is just a lot of texts coming in, but I appreciate them. So uh, thank you very much for them. And your thoughts are really, really kind. And I appreciate each and every one of them. And Anne says, hi, Patricia, are chiropodists open at the moment? They are. Chiropodists are deemed an essential service, so they've not been impacted by the level five restrictions if your feet do need attention. But uh, what I would say to you is you ring your chiropodist in advance. I imagine a little bit like the doctors, a little bit like the dentist. They're not taking walk-in appointments. So if you ring in advance, but yes, chiropodists were deemed essential services during the Level 5 lockdown. So yes, go make your appointment. 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Kildare Community Development. They will have their weekly lotto draw. It's on this Thursday, tomorrow, 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the local community office. Jackpot this week is €1,100 and tickets are on sale locally. Avenue Macra are fundraising for the Irish Heart Foundation and they're holding a virtual speed dating night this Friday night the 13th of November. To participate you firstly complete the survey on any of the Avenue Macra social media pages and then you donate a minimum of €10 Euro to the Irish Heart Foundation through the GoFundMe link. You send proof of your donation to avenduemacra at gmail.com and then you'll receive a link to the scheduled Zoom meeting which is going to happen on Friday night and they're suggesting you could meet the partner of your dream. Your gardening questions coming in for Peter, please. He'll join us after half past 12 today. 1850-333-103. John on the church has been closed to mass at the moment. John says, when I was going to school, which was 40 odd years ago, I was always told the doors of the church were always open for sanctuary. So why are they closed now? Well, they are open for private prayer at the moment. They're open every day 
for private prayer but it's the there's no public masses is what's uh, going on uh, Hi Patricia this is from Mary lovely to hear Father Tim on your programme this morning and his opinions on the Catholic Church is always a breath of fresh air he's actually a cousin of mine says Mary but we've never actually spoken I think I'll send him a letter or a card in the post oh do he's absolutely down in Killer he's, I mean, imagine if you just address it to Father Tim in Killer it will get to him too he'll absolutely love that and that's something you could do for if you're thinking of priests when we're talking about loneliness with their uh, priests as well that's certainly something that you could do you could uh, you could write to them and then on Leo Varadkar and everything going on with Leo and Angela writing to us from Castletown Bear saying how sorry she feels for Leo and uh, she's giving out about the other TDs who jumped on the bandwagon and picking on him because he made a mistake um, and people saying how well he led us when we needed leadership Mary says isn't it so true that eating bread is soon forgotten Leo guided us through the terrible first few months of this pandemic and he was such a steadying hand and thank you to another as somebody says signs themselves a loyal listener when somebody sent in a saying that I hadn't heard about a horse with a dirty tail and a listener says the actual saying is the horse with the dirtiest backside cocks his tail the highest and I had never heard that saying before thank you for that Anthony said Leo's leaks in many democracies would have been investigated by the police force of that uh, country and on the Covid situation they did what Tony Houlihan and Neffet instructed them to do and don't forget that many elderly people died at the start of the pandemic they were very badly left down at the time says Anthony who I take it is not a fan of Leo Varadkar Pat says Hi Patricia the very least we can expect from politicians and people in power is truth and honesty which we're not always getting a member of Phoenix Gail was on the Tonight Show last night and was refusing to answer the question put to her I felt sorry for her but that's Fina Gael for you says Pat and I don't know who the Fina Gael TD is and I don't know what context it is because I didn't actually see uh, the show but thank you for your comment there are questions for Peter thank you for those we were speaking about the RSA earlier and somebody was one was questioning what was the role of the RSA and I went on and I was giving their mission statement and saying what the RSA was all about Stephen one of our great listeners in County Kerry says I think the RSA is simply a cushy little number Patricia full of rhetoric and nothing much else and to be honest I don't think the AA are any much better and you don't have to agree with me says Stephen listening to us from Kerry thank you for that Uh, Stephen somebody wants to know is the Park Road or Bridge Street in Mallow flooded I have appointments haven't heard I'll get John Paul certainly nothing's come up on my screen and we've been hearing from people throughout the day if they come across an area where there has been flooding but I haven't heard anything about Bridge Street or the Park Road so I'm assuming that it is open you'll be okay to go to uh, your appointments and then the elderly couple in their 80s that sent in the text about their before Covid their social outing was three nights a week to go to a local casino they wouldn't spend more than 10 euro uh, between them but it was just to get out meet other people they don't drink so going to the pub never going to be an option for them but they said in their text now 
that their only social outlet is they go shopping once a week and other than that they have nothing they come home and they sit and obviously the long dark evenings and uh, nothing to look forward to and making the point that the young people have all of their lives in front of them and that we're in the autumn of hours and nothing to uh, look forward to. Somebody says, I was just saying, trying to see a positive out of it. At least they have each other. You know, it could you could be, look, because I'm very conscious of people who are living on their own. Somebody says, don't, to the elderly couple, they have themselves to spoil. They have themselves to cuddle, to love. They could be dancing around the kitchen. They could be singing. They could play cards, play games, play darts in the land of Hibernia. And pray, if they pray. Well, they certainly pray because the... I don't know whether it was the wife or the husband sent in the text um, but they did say all we have to look forward to is our rosary beads by the fire every uh, night and but while that's they're struggling obviously they're struggling because their social outing they're three nights a week heading off to the casino they're missing that and they're missing interacting with the other people and that's exactly what Anne Dempsey from Senior Line was talking about and what they're saying to the government that when we come out of this level five and whatever else is going to be put in place that they have to think about older people and they have to listen to older people and they have to realise what older people are going through and that for whatever reason this second lockdown seems to be harder on a lot of older people than the first one uh, was. Uh, thank you for all your text and commentary coming in there uh, 1850 and a reminder to you that we're asking anybody involved with charity calendars to let us know about your char- charity calendar ideally get a copy of the charity calendar into us so that I can physically have it in my hand and be able to talk about it and the idea is we'll promote whatever calendar you're selling where it's on sale if you want to let us know how much is it can you post it uh, to people and the whole idea is we want to just help charities out charities have been so badly affected because of the pandemic and all of the traditional fundraising has had to cease and this is one way for local groups and organisations to perhaps make a little bit of money and by producing calendars so let us know if you have a calendar on sale as I say if you can post it into us it would be great you can send it to Patricia Messenger C103 Goulds Hill in Mallow and the idea is that every day between now and Christmas the more calendars we get in we'll give a mention to it and we'll talk about it and let people know that the calendar is on sale. Now I did get a calendar and I don't know uh, this I don't know where this is on sale but my thanks to Eileen O'Shea and she says I don't have to mention it on the programme but I want to mention it because it's absolutely stunning. It's a calendar of Bantry and Abera and it's the Bantry Development and Tourism Association who are a voluntary organisation and of course they promote and support the development of tourism in Bantry in the West Cork area and Eileen decided Eileen O'Leary decided during lockdown that she'd go out with her camera and she'd start taking photographs and it's just been put together in this most stunning calendar just apps some of them are absolutely beautiful they almost you know when you capture a photograph and sometimes you look at it and you think is that actually a painting but it's actually a, a photograph it really is beautiful and they're from all over the West Cork area Market Day in Bantry Glengariff Nature Reserve is in there Bantry House and Gardens stunning picture of Bantry House and Gardens let me go to another Homeward Bound with Tuna in Castletown Bear and it is a fishing trawler coming in to Castletown Bear Country Living it's somebody saving the hay Ellen's Rock in Glengariff could actually be a painting it's such a beautiful photograph 
gorgeous picture of Bantry Bay uh, and on and on and on it goes. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Now Eileen doesn't say where it's on sale so I'm assuming it's on sale certainly through Bantry Tourism Office they have a website www.bantry.ie but good luck that is a gorgeous gorgeous calendar and if you have loved ones living abroad from West Cork they certainly would love to see, receive a calendar like that for Christmas because that's what I'm suggesting as well we all buy a calendar and get a calendar for our own homes but I think calendars are lovely to send abroad to loved ones uh, as well so as I say if you have a charity calendar let us know about it please and we will give it a little bit of a plug for you 1850 our lines are open we're going to take a break and we're back having your gardening questions answered by Peter Dowd Peter Dowd of the Irishgardener.com on a very wet afternoon for gardening but I suppose we can do our gardening from the armchair good afternoon to you Peter uh, good afternoon, Trish. I was just going to say that it's a perfect day for armchair gardening. Yeah, you, you wouldn't have much reason to be out on it. No, no, ind- indeed not. But listen, it's going to brighten up tomorrow and the weather will get better. We'll promise you that. OK, now straight in with an email uh, from Mary. And thank you, Mary. Got this email interesting plenty of times so we were able to send it on because it contains a photograph to Peter. But it reads, hi, uh, Patricia, could you ask Peter why my holly hedge is not filling out and the bottom planted two years ago, not producing leaves at the bottom foot? Should I cut to the ground and let it sprout up again? I've attached a picture thanking you for your help from Mary in Milford. Yeah, no, and it's great, Trish, because the picture tells, you know, a thousand words. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So no, I don't think you need to be as drastic as to cut it back to ground level, but you do need to cut it back. So what's happening here is the, the hollies... <clears throat> Or they're kind of getting tall and lanky, so all the growth is on the set, the top half of the plant with nothing down in the bottom half. Now, that won't come back unless action is taken, because if you think the way that plants grow, they take all the water and nutrients and everything out of the soil, up through their root system, and that travels up through the plants to the growing tips. So that's where the new leaves will always come, is from the growing tips and the extremities of the plant, if you like. So the leaves and the branches that are there will continue to green up, but those that don't have any... Uh, active growth down low those those nodes and buds are all dormant now because the growth is surpassing them going to the extremities so what you want to do is cut it back by nearly half I would leave I would leave the bottom one or two branches or even three or four branches that are green on the on the plant so looking at the picture I would probably cut them back by about two feet so you're leaving two or three branches on each holly bush in leaf 
And what that will do is the, the same amount of growth and, and nutrients and that obviously will come up from the root system, but now it, it can't go any further because the, you've pruned it off. So now those dormant buds, buds are being forced into growth. So they, they will green up then from, from down. So you don't need to cut back to ground level, but I would reduce them by about half, leaving, as I say, two or three stems of green on each plant. Okay, good luck with that. Hi, uh, my cactus has buds and flowers. How often should I water it? It's looking so pretty at the moment. I'm assuming it's a Christmas cactus. How often to water it now that the flowers are out? I'm assuming too that it's a Christmas cactus, Trish, uh, but it may not be. But it, So if it's a Christmas cactus, like with any of them, err on the side of caution, err on the side of underwatering. So if it's the Christmas cactus, Slumbergia, to give it its correct name, a mouthful of a name, but if that's what it is... Um, it will very dramatically wilt and go limp if it needs water. Now, you have plenty of time to remedy that. So I would always err on the side of underwatering as opposed to overwatering. But I would say if you're giving it a, you know, a cup full of water once a week, that will probably be about it. But it, And if it's not limp, if it's not wilting or anything like that, then that's enough. Okay. Uh, if it if it is looking a bit shook, give it a bit more. But if it's a normal cactus or any of the other cacti, like the Mexican blue ribbon cacti or anything like that, um, don't, don't water them at all. They really don't need any water ever. Ever? Pretty much, no, not yeah. ever. You might well, give them a small drop from time to time, but no, I never, ever water my cacti. Okay, a uh, question for Peter, please, Anne from Bantry. Fallen leaves. Are there some leaves that should not be put into your compost bin? For example, chestnut tree leaves. Uh, are they not as good in the bin as other leaves? I am going to say no, but I'm obviously, like, with everything in the garden and with everything in nature, I'm, I'm open to, to correction, obviously. Um I have never heard that chestnut leaves, are, I, I've always composted my chestnut leaves and other leaves. They may not be the same in nutrient value as they break down, but they're always going to give extra humus. And I would always compost all the leaves. The only ones that I would leave out would be any infected leaves. And you've often heard me, Trish, over the years talking about, you know, remove any infected growth. Don't leave, if when we're talking about infected plants, to so remove infected growth and don't leave the infected leaves and stems around the base of the plant. So you wouldn't put infected growth into a compost bin um, for obvious reasons. You'll spread the infection. But if it's all clean growth, I'd have no problem mixing all of them. OK, question for Peter. I have acorns in a box. They began to shoot, so I put them into little pots. Is there anything in particular I should do to make sure that they survive a mid-cork listener? I'd say nature, the magic of nature is going to do it all on its own uh, mid-cork listener. Like, you've seen the resilience of them. They're just in a little box and already they're bursting to germinate you've put them into little pots of soil now no i'd leave them outside uh i wouldn't you could keep them inside if you keep them inside obviously you'll have to pay attention to watering uh outside you clearly won't um but i would leave them outside and stop them just just make sure they're not falling over or blowing over uh, and let nature do its thing hi uh peter what should i do with my geranium plant it's still flowering but it's gone very leggy does it need to be pruned back or how should i treat it it's about five years old yeah, I would say yes, it does. So the geraniums or pelargoniums, which are the frost tender ones, would need to come in for the, the winter. Now, they don't say whether it's it's, it's inside all the time or whether they move it out for the summer or what the situation is. But it, it, I would imagine it's in a pot. So if it's in a pot, 
cut it back and repot it. Um, it's no harm doing it at this time of the year, really. It's not going to put on a huge amount of growth now, but you're, you're certainly not going to harm it by repotting it now. Uh, so I would go, you know, be generous with your bigger pot because they're quite vigorous growers, particularly if it's five or six years of age. So be generous. Go, You could go into a pot twice the size or even more than what it's in, but do cut it back. Just remember to leave some green on it. Well, sorry, when I say cut it back, I don't know that I cut it back at this time of the year. I pro- You could repot it now, certainly, but I wouldn't cut it back probably till kind of middle or end of March, second half of March, when the growth is beginning to start again. And when you're cutting it back then, just remember again, a bit like the holly I was talking about earlier, do leave some greenery on your geranium. Don't remove all the greenery. So leave some on it. And then it's the same principle. The growth below where you have cut, those dormant buds on the stem will be forced into growth at that point. That won't happen at the moment. That's why I don't want to cut it now because it's cold and it's it's the plant is dormant. But it's, it's, so it's during March, April when the growth is starting again. That's when you want to do it. Christine in Cork says, Hi, should Mount Brescia be cut? And if so, what part and how much? Uh, well, Mount Brescia is, is herbaceous. It's a herbaceous perennial. You know that beautiful orange yeah, one that we have in the hedgerows all over yeah. Ireland. It it's goes a gorgeous. Mad, I, I love though. it. Yes, I was just going to say, I love it too in the hedgerows, not yeah. in my own garden. I love it as, as a wildflower. Um, so it's a herbaceous, uh, it's actually a corm. And the, the growth above the ground dies off, so it goes brown. Now, you can actually leave it from year to year if you want, but for tidiness and cleanliness, you might want to, to, to cut it back. So in which case, you can cut it back really any time from now on to totally to ground level. You, you can absolutely butcher that plant and it's going to come on again, so don't worry. But once the growth has gone brown anyway, every, like every herbaceous plant, all the brown growth over the ground is dead growth. The life has gone back under the ground at that point. Yeah, it's, it, I think it makes the garden look tidier by cutting it, cut it right back. I think just, so, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Pat has uh, peony roses that, uh, Pat says, I moved from my mother's house. The first year they came great, but this year they weren't great. I'd hate to lose them as they're a very sentimental value. Should I move them again? Again. No, I'd be slow to move them again because I, I. But I am interested, like here, that the first year they did great because peonies don't normally like to be moved. Once they get established and they're happy where they are, now I totally understand he probably had, possibly had to move them from his mother's house. Um, I would say maybe they're just settling in. I know year one they were great, but year two they could be just going through a, a delayed, believe it or not, delayed shock, a bit of a setback from being moved two years previous. I wouldn't be concerned about them yet. But I certainly wouldn't go moving them again. What they do like is a good humus-rich soil fish in a good sunny or semi-shaded position. They don't want to be in full shade. Um, so sunny or semi-shaded position in a good humus-rich soil. Uh, what you could do when the growth does begin to emerge next spring is feed them. Feed them with something like the Nature Safe Liquid, which is probably the best plant food that, that you could use. To, uh, it, it's it's uh, seaweed from the west of Ireland. It's a fabulous, fabulous plant tonic in a liquid form. Nature Safe uh, I would feed them with that coming into the new season next year. I'd say you should be all right. If they continue not to thrive next year, come back to us and we'll, we'll, we'll go with more advice. Okay, but, but hang in there for now. A gardening question. Rhubarb stools, do they need to be split after a few years? After a few years, yes. I would say after kind of four or five years, you want to do that to reinvigorate the, the original plant. But also then, it, of course, it's giving you extra plants for free, if you like. But uh, I would certainly say every four or five years, yeah. What is the best way to trim foriums? They're so big and beautiful, but blocking light in my window. Thank you, you in advance. 
you see, this is this is the problem. This is these are one of the plants that, that, that that's not an easy answer, and it, it just goes to show the importance of putting the right plant in the right place day one. I'm afraid because formiums produce these. They're the New Zealand flax trees. You know, they produce these gorgeous sword-like or spear-like leaves or foliage. And spiky they kind of, they can they, be they, huge. They can. They can get to two meters and more, even three meters in height. Some of them, uh, which is very, very big. They don't look like that when they're in a pot in the garden set. I know some will stay below two and three. Will stay between two and three feet. Some won't get any bigger, but the majority will. So, unfortunately, if if it was like a normal, when I say I shouldn't use the word normal, but if it was like a, a kind of a shrub, a broadleaf shrub, deciduous or evergreen, you could reduce it overall so that it's not blocking the light in your window. But the only way to trim a, a formium, you can't cut the leaf in half. You just can't do that because uh, infection will get in through that wound. So the only way you trim a formium is, is identify the leaves you want to get rid of and follow it all the way to ground level uh, and remove them, those leaves, at ground level. So you see what I mean? You can't reduce the height of it yeah. by a foot or two like you would in a different shrub. So you're you're removing either all of it or some of it completely yeah it's so tough work it, that may not be suitable yeah it's tough work but it may not even work so you may actually have to look at which is this bit is going to be tough work you may have to look at taking it out and moving it and putting something else there okay question for peter my apple trees have a lot of moss does this do any harm or should i scrape it off they're about 50 years old and by the way they are producing plenty of fruit no, it doesn't. It doesn't do any harm. Moss and it's, it's very possibly lichen growth as well in the apple trees. That it doesn't do any harm. I would scrape it off if they're on the leaf buds or you know where the, the new foliage will be emerging next year. Maybe remove from them because it can just physically uh, contort the new foliage and stop the new foliage from opening. But in general, no. Okay. Moss and, and lichen growth. And tree, this, not this is a question I think that a lot of people will be interested in. Should I take the saucers from under patio plants for the winter? They seem to be filling up with rainwater very quickly, particularly on a day like today. I think everybody knows the answer to that. <laughs> Just take, <laughs> yes, remove, you, would you remove them completely them. for the winter? Yes, uh, and I would actually, with, with, with plants that you have in pots outside, I would let, get these little pot feet or do something to raise them up from the ground so that the water can drain away freely for two reasons. Number one, obviously, the, with the amount of water we're getting today, plants plants could drown. It just you get an, an, end up getting anaerobic conditions. They're waterlogged and the plants can, some plants can die. But also, if the, if the pots and the soil is saturated over the next couple of weeks and then we get a cold spell, it will freeze um, and that can crack the pot. So you really want to lift those pots slightly off the ground with pot feet uh, so that the water can drain away. Okay, I have, says another listener, strawberry plants in containers, the leaves are going brown. They're just dying off, are they? Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about that this time of the year. No, that that should be fine. If it was happening in the spring or or summer, I'd be worried. But for this time of the year, no, I wouldn't be worried. Prune off any, and if they look like infected brown, just prune them off. Margaret wants to know, when is the best time of the year to consider planting lilies? Uh, lilies and it's funny when we were talking about peonies there as well because I was just ordering my, my lilies and peonies and things like that for my own website theirishgardener.com and they, they'll be coming in over the next kind of month so you'll be able to get them now in a, in a blatant plug for my own business theirishgardener.com lilies gladiolas begonias all these and peonies will be available kind of from about next week onwards um, but they won't I wouldn't start planting them realistically until February. But I, what I would do, because what we've all found this year in the gardening world, everything has been selling out because the whole world is at yeah, home in their yeah. garden. So everything is selling out. So order stuff now for next spring. Uh, Seed potatoes, everything. Okay, got to leave it there. Yeah. Have a good week. We'll talk next Wednesday.
Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdrill of the IrishGardener.com. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. Apologies if we didn't get around to all your gardening questions. I didn't think on a wet day like today there would be so many questions in, but they're still coming in. I can still see them coming in by uh, text. Uh, but Peter will be back with us next week and hopefully we'll be able to get to answer more of your questions. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. I'm Trish Mester. Good afternoon. C103 Anthems. Three anthems weekdays at 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. and online all the time with our new anthems stream. Listen on our app or at c103.ie. C103. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.